0: Welcome to the Waymaker Fireside Chat Podcast, where our purpose is to grow your life and change the world. In this episode, we sit down with Kim Carter, Lewis Carson Arthur, the founder of Waymaker, and the president of media sales at BET Networks. Today, we're joined by housing developer Kim Carter, who is the CEO of the Center for Housing Advancement and Motivational Projects and the author of Waking Up to My Purpose. Today, we'll discuss her powerful story, her work in housing development, and her advice to listeners on changing the course of their lives. Let's get started.
1: Hi, I'm Lewis Carr, founder of Waymaker. And today on the Waymaker Fireside Chat, we have Kim Carter, who's a CNN hero, a housing developer, CEO of CHAMP, which stands for Center for Housing Advancement and Motivational Projects, and the author of a new book called Waking Up to My Purpose. Welcome,
2: Kim, to the Waymaker Fireside Chat. Thanks for having me at the Fireside Chat. I'm excited.
1: We're excited to have you. You have a very phenomenal story and journey, and uh, you've had some challenges in your life, but you clearly have overcome them. So let's sort of talk about where did you grow up and how did you grow up and what were some of the early challenges in
2: your life story? Uh, so I was born in New York City uh, to a single mom. Uh, we lived three families in one 3 bedroom apartment. Uh, I know we were living in extreme poverty, but as a kid, you didn't really, I didn't really know that. But where it shows up in my life was like not having my father in my life, and other family members had their father would come and pick them up on the weekends and spend time with them. But I would always be left behind because no father ever came for me, and uh, not having a mother that knew how to maybe communicate what was going on. I guess I was too young for that for that grown up conversation. But where it really went left for me was when I started experiencing uh, sexual molestation from my babysitter. So you know. Therein lies, you know, how that poverty plays a role is that, you know, instead of me being with a licensed child care provider, I was with the the neighbor's kids, you see what I'm saying, being babysitting, and that's where I suffered a lot of uh, molestation, and it kind of like, from that point on, and then uh, being surrounded with everything else that was happening, but the violence, people on drugs and addiction, you know, I really never felt good inside my skin. And as I grew up, I, I couldn't find nothing to make me feel okay with me because I carried those wounds that was deep rooted on the inside. So growing up in, 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 in this environment,
1: uh, I grew up in, in, in a poor environment myself. And you, you kind of touched on that. You, you really didn't know how poor you were or how bad it was at that particular time. When through your journey did you discover there may be something better than this?
2: Well, it would be a while. I would have transitioned in and out of incarceration at that point, uh, you know, before I really woke up. And, and, and they didn't allow to wake up you know, to my purpose. Um, you know, watching TV, all I had was Witch and the Brady Bunch, right? So I could sit there and shake my nose, but nothing happened, you know? And, I <laughs> and, and none now, of them I mean, look like you, right? Look, and we didn't have a we didn't have a station wagon either to pile up in. You know, we were on subways. <laughs> you know, I didn't have nothing to look. I didn't have nothing to um idolize. I didn't have nothing to look up to. You know, and going to school was the refuge, but also was a place to eat. Right, we went to school to eat. I knew what time lunches was. I knew when the snacks was. We knew where all the community centers was that had you know lunch during summertime. Because uh, it used to be a time you went to summer school because you wanted to. You know, later on in years, you know, you went you were behind in education. I was never behind in education. And but they don't know when I wasn't able to go to summer school, I was missing out on some regular meals. <laughs> you, you know, so that that's how you know how the poverty plays up. But um again, you know, it was after being recycled in out of incarceration and you know, being on um being on a drugs that I really realized how deep the wound was that happened to me from the molestation, and that that little girl she had to heal. For me to become a wholesome person, I needed to go back in, and let me go back inside, let me just work with her. Uh, and,
1: and what were you incarcerated for? Drugs. Everything
2: was drug related. Yeah. So,
1: w- were you a drug user? Or were you? Uh, dealing drugs, or both. Well,
2: I was the kind of person that I was definitely a drug user. I was 90 pounds, smoking wet. You know, I was uh, I was cracked out. But in the course of being in the midst of the hustle, you know, you sell but like, you sell a five piece to get a ten piece, so you could have a ten piece, right? So. Every time I had any type of encounters with law enforcement, I was always in the possession of a very small amount. You know how it is. All the John Gottis and airplanes full of drugs was getting past this, and they was up in that inner city communities with the war on drugs, targeting everything that moved, right? Whether you was using, whether you had somebody in your house getting loaded, whether you had it in your car, we were all getting, we were all getting arrested. They was building more prisons, and we needed to fill those beds, and we were being utilized for that purpose. So what, what was the,
1: the turning point, Kim? What was that moment when you said, you know what? I can be something different. I can do something different.
2: What was that turning point? Well, the turning point for me happened when, um, you know, I was a part of this, uh, I was in prison for another trip. And they had brought in this pilot program called forever free. And they had this, uh, Really, used tall white guy. He was running the program, and and he he wanted to pick what he called the worst of us, the ones who were repeatedly being incarcerated. And so, um, the friend of mine was like, "You ought to go check it out. It's for drug addicts." I was like, "Well, I ain't going. To, they ain't going. I ain't going because they only had one hundred slots, but it's like three thousand women's in this institution. And so, um." I remember going with her just to check it out. With all this narcissistic stuff in my head, it ain't gonna work for me. You know, I'm too good for this program. They don't. You know, they they're gonna use me. I had all these crazy, you know, mental health issues going on. But lo and behold, I I I put my name in that hat, and uh, when they as a lottery happened, uh, they drew my name. And I was number 87. And so I was allowed to participate in a drug program while still being incarcerated. And it was in that program, they had this thing called um, holistic therapy. And, And so as opposed to saying, hey, here are the things that you've done, the question turned around and I was finally asked, hey, what happened to you? And that's what we call trauma-informed care. So because they brought in trauma-informed care, I had someone look at me as a human and ask, hey, what happened to me? And then as she asked it, I'm feeling emotional now. It just rolled over me. I just start telling her all the stuff that happened to me. So much had happened to me that it had been layered and layered and piled up, you know, violence, you know, rape, everything had happened to me. physical abuse tons of mental abuse and it was still on top of the girl the little five-year-old girl who's being molested and when she said it I began to like you know get a little tear in my eyes like oh my god let me get this together because you know I'm in prison you can't be walking around here crying and as you know them floodgates was open baby and I was letting it out she was like whoa and see they realized that you know I I had uh, I had issues of a much deeper nature and that I would need uh, some extensive help. And if the little bit they was going to give me inside was not going to be enough. And so they offered me an opportunity when I got out of prison to go to another program where I would be able to have six more months of what they call treatment. And so um, the day came for me to get released from prison. And, you know, I struggled with do I go into a strange place that I don't know or do I go back to what I do know? And I do know what's going to happen when I go back to what I do know. I'm going to wind up back incarcerated shortly. I might get 60 days, 45 days out before I'm back in some, somebody's jail. You know, I'm always I'm always being released into homelessness. I'm never lasting long, and no family members home because they have expectations for me to produce. And I only had one way to produce was you know to rob and steal, right? So I took a chance and I went to this drug program. You know, and that's where um, that journey, just being accepted into that drug program having that journey to go uh, to someplace new, you know that is the impetus of of the movie uh, Tell Like a Woman where Jennifer Hudson plays me. It's all about that pivotal moment. And that's the moment that I woke up that something could be better because I did something different and I I expected something different. And when I went to that program for the six months, I'm sitting here before you right now, 30 years later from that that first six months, uh, clean and sober, drug and alcohol free, and you know my life has just been truly amazing. Um, I help other women who was entrapped in a slave like me. I started an organization. You know, I've had jobs I've, I create jobs. I mean, just the list just goes on, but it was that it was at that time that 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 decision to go ahead to that drug program instead of going back to the community uh, that that saved me. It gave me a new a new a new direction so so Kim,
1: the, the women or men who may be listening to you right now and may have that doubt or that fear to go get help, what would you say to them? They, they, they may, not have, may not be incarcerated right now, they're, they're free, but they still have that struggle, internal struggle with themselves. What would you say to those people
2: right now? Well, one thing I would say is that it's never too late to change the course of your life. They do not listen to nobody tell you that you wait too long. Do not listen to nobody who you've known all your life that hasn't helped you get to but where to you at right now. Then I would say change your life. We you start off one day at a time, but go out and do something different. You know, go to a program, go to a program in another city to get out your neighborhood. Do what you gotta do to make that change, but do not tell yourself that it's over because it ain't never over. And there's no fat lady gonna sing neither. They that fat lady was a pig and they put her on for Thanksgiving. She turned to ham. <laughs> <laughs> Jags. I would say, I would say, I would say it's never too late. I mean, I went from breaking laws to making laws. I went from being homeless, living under bridges and abandoned buildings to building affordable housing. There ain't nothing that we can do. When we come back from a devastating, life-threatening uh situation like that, and we come on the other side of it, you know, we're smarter, we're stronger, we're, we're, we're more clever. We have lived two lifestyles in one lifetime. We've been able, we're able to see things other folks can't see. And then we go get some education and layer that with some book smarts. So now we got, you know, we got the street smarts and the book smarts. We become unstoppable. So let's talk about being a CNN hero. How did that happen? Looky here. I'm telling you, my God is good. And he put me on stages and put me in rooms that I don't even know how I get into. I take every opportunity to share one thing and one thing for certain that God could and would if he was sought, and that he sent his loving hand down and he pulled me up out of the belly of the beast, you know, dusted me off, shook me off. And as a result of that, uh, I was nominated. I had like 50 people tell me they nominated me for this award. So I really don't know which one. They never told me. But what I would say is that I got a call one day say, hey, you've been nominated for a CNN uh, Heroes Award. And I didn't know what that was. I wasn't watching CNN. And it was like, well, we have to do a little investigation. And you know, we'll get back to him and let, let you know. I was like, at that point in my life, you know, I I'm, 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 I have this company and I am doing the best that I can do. But that stigma of having a felony conviction still is always side by side. And I don't like people have to keep investigating about me. Like, let let me tell you about me. So I wasn't really happy with the way they said, I'm going to investigate you. You know what I'm saying? I have been investigating and I've been searched and seized. I've been investigated all my life. So I, I didn't, I didn't respond well to that. Then when they came back with some information that was written, they say, Hey, out of 50,000 nominations in eight different countries, you've been selected to be a top 10 is top 10 in hero. And we have investigated to see was your work authentic. So they they was investigating to see, am I really transforming life? Do I really have these different housing programs? Am I really changing laws? Like like they they, they investigated like that to see was I real and found out that I was. And I was catapulted, you know, uh, from San Bernardino, you know, to private jets, going to New York, uh, you know, getting hair, makeup, glam. Everybody was just so nice to me. But I was there with, you know, nine other amazing individuals. And I said, Lord, if I can look over here and see a man that goes up into the mountain to bring water down to a village so that w- w- women can stay in the village and not have to walk five hours a day to get water, I want somebody who goes under the bridge and does medicine. I want a g- girl who started an orphanage in some war-torn country. If I'm standing here next to them and they are my peers, then truly what I'm doing, which I know is working, but I didn't really see the magnitude of the impact then now I know that, you know, this, this work I'm doing, it is, uh, it is God uh, directed and it is way bigger than I could have ever imagined. And he let me see me on a large scale. So as I'm there and I'm amongst, you know, of course, Hollywood, Sharon Stone, all these people, but we see on TV all the time. And um, I'm being honored. And I, I look up and see my program on TV. I see it in 19 different languages. And I'm like, wow, you know, and the way people started treating me, you know, the California uh, governor don't want me to come to the governor, to the, to the Capitol. You know, that everybody wanted to, you know, stand next to the top 10 CNN hero. Right. And I just say, OK, Lord, it's opening up doors. Where are we going with this? You know, every award I've ever gotten it has a meaning behind it. It's a chance for me to tell people that, you know, when you see somebody on that bus bench and she's homeless, laying there. You know, covered in plastic. Do not count her out, because that's Kim Carter, and she'll be back. When you see a woman that's going in and out of prison, that you know can't seem to get it right, do not count her out. That's Kim Carter, and she'll be back. And when she come back, she coming back strong. So tell me about
1: how did you get into housing
2: development? How did how, how did that happen?
1: Or was that something you always wanted to do? No, or... <laughs> no. So <laughs> tell let me you about
2: tell you. Housing development. So, so as I started working with women coming from prison, you know, I had one shelter, two shelters. You know, I started master leasing apartments from other landlords because my women were transformed, ready for their own place. But there was no landlords and no apartment buildings for them to get into. So I had relied on, you know, public housing being the vessel for my women to become self-sufficient in their own place. And then public housing, why them having an the eight-year wait list? Uh, hey, my, my client said, his Carter, what am I waiting on? So at that time, I was like, well, I got to I I gotta, I gotta build my own. I got to build my own apartments. I can't wait for the landlord. It was all about what my women needed next. Everything I've ever done has been about what do women need so they can, you know, grow, so that they can be self-sufficient, so they can thrive, so we can get our kids back out of foster care system. And so when I put my, when, when, when my emotions kick in, I kick in, I'm either mad, pissed off about something, or I'm really, really happy, but I was really mad. At the housing store, you got an eight-year wait list. I don't got eight years with these women. We got to get them housed. We got to get them stable. I got to get them prepared for their kids for school. And so... At the same time, I am looking know if you know, but Karen Bassett was in the California Assembly, and she had worked on Proposition 1A, 1B, 1C, and 1D. Well, these propositions were all directed to money's coming down for housing. And for a fact, it was like 25% of that money was supposed to come to these communities to build, affordable, to build low-income housing. Uh, housing is affordable for low-income people. They already hijacked the word affordable. So to build low-income housing. And so in that, I started searching, where happened to the money? So I found out that my uh, city... Had had the money. And what they were doing was they was like like for every dollar, 25 cents for low low income, they would take the 75 cent and leave the 25 cent. So then I was like, okay, I'm going to go to the office inspector general. And we've been doing, I'm, I'm a protester. I'm a marcher. You know, I do campaigns. I do all that. And so I started raising a, a ruckus. And it's like, hey, call her in, call her in. So the mayor called me in and say, what's going on? I'm like, y'all got that money? Y'all been holding money for years and years? People out here on the streets? My girls up here in the shelter can't get their kids back because we don't got no more housing. He said, well, do you got something that uh, you want to build? I'm like, yeah, I do. He said, well, where is it? I said, it's in this city. He said, well, show me where it's at. Where's the land? So I just hit the corner. Boom, boom, boom. He going to land here, here, there, there, and there and they just facilitated me getting those dollars for me to build. Now, I didn't know how to, to build, but what I did know, I'm a mathematician. So what I did was I pulled other projects that had been developed. I pulled their uh, budgets, right? So I pulled their budget. And I could look at the budget and see what the money was spent on to know what you gotta have. So I know you got to have, you know, the environmental impact study. I know you have to have, you know, the architect. you gotta have general contact, you gotta do that. And like, I could see from budgets what had been done. And so with that, and my ability to, you know, uh, work with people that understand when you're coming at me correct, when you're coming at me on the side, I use those skills and I was able to pull it off. I managed the budget the whole time. I, I, I'm the one that signed for the final dollar. I ain't let nobody get away with me and my success. And my building came out looking beautiful. They they said, hey, it can't look too nice, Miss Carter, because it's supposed to be low-income housing. I was putting granite countertops up in there. I had the best AC. I had thick carpet up in there. I got handles on my doorknob. Like, I got Kohler toilets and sinks. Like, I'm laying this low-income housing now, And today, 12 years later, it's still looking brand new and still looking good. And so that is what let me know that we can do what we want to do. I mean, just imagine. I've been to prison. Here I am up here making laws. Like, these are things that we can do. We can do what we want to do. You know, we can so, do what Karen, we want to
1: do. We at Waymaker believe that every successful person has had at least one Waymaker. Who are some of the Waymakers for Kim Carter? I would say
2: the... People in the rooms of uh, the Forever Free Program, the, uh, you know, the, the 12-step community, those are the ones, the ones that is in Cocaine Anonymous, narcotic Anonymous, Them are more, more my way makers because that community is solidified in spiritual principles and the spiritual principles is our design for living. And so when other people don't know how to respond, don't know how to react, I have a design for living that has been a built in based on my fellowship and my ability to work these 12 steps. You see what I'm saying? So, I have so I have a spiritual component that that that's solid that, that gives me my foundation. Right. And so most people would say church, but I had to go to the 12 steps before I could even get to church. Cause I didn't feel worthy of church. But but that foundation allows me to go to church and see Miss Jones in the front row, be like, Yeah, okay, Miss Jones, I see you. You see me this because I already know how Miss Jones is in, in the first row. Like you know how these churches be. You see what I'm saying? Best of y'all black churches. So my, my foundation allows me to navigate some churches and walk out there with my head still hell high. Don't feel like Jesus is gonna come and condemn me because I already know now. I got the word. Now I know God is everything or he ain't nothing. And it is no, sometimes he is, sometimes he's not. See, now I got a word to stand on. And that comes from this 12-step community. So my way makers are like that. The women who inspire me to uh, to be the change are people like, you know, Karen Bass, um, you know, Mayor Akronetta Warren, uh, some are Shirley Chisholm, some of the Black women who have, you know, um, Bang Lou Hamer, you know, uh, Harriet Tubman, like those are the ones that I feel uh, connected and laid to because I'm always looking at the societal inequalities and looking at what um, needs to be changed so we can further our people. I totally believe in lifting our people up. Um, I just built another building. It's 10,000 square foot space. It's called the Bebop. Black and Brown Opportunity for Profit Center is 14 offices, three conference rooms, uh, child care center. We have a huge cafeteria. We have a fast pitch room in there, planning and marketing. And I uh, got this vision doing George Floyd. And we were looking at, you know, the, the obvious uh, inequality, systemic oppression that happens here in this United States against black people. One more time, it's like, we're not going to go back to business as usual. We're not going to come back after this pandemic and go back to, you know, hustling these low-wage jobs. Don't got enough benefits to pay your rent. We're not, we're not going to do that. But what we can do, because at that point, we've all taken our side hustles, and people have made them side hustles actually beneficial, because that's what we do as Black women. We make it work. And so let me build a, a space, a sacred space, right, a sacred space on stolen land right? That's going to lift up these black and brown women. So it's called the Bebop. Um, Grand opening was March 15th, and we probably launched about 40 businesses so far. We've been able to get access to capital, to be able to invest in those businesses. You you can go on the website, um, timeforchangefoundation.org, and you will see some of the success stories. But that vision came from being pissed off watching youtube video a young was like, yeah we have you want to know why we burned up everything because we don't own nothing she said we had black wall street she said we, and what you do when you bombed it she goes we had our money in the bank, in the bank and what you do you stole the money and now as a black people we don't own nothing our communities are saturated with everybody coming in and a be, turn us into uh, customers and we're not, you know, the ones that selling and it's all designed and it's made up like that because it's the systemic oppression that has been happening over years. And every time we try to build generational wealth and try to, you know, build legacy, there's something that comes, we ain't or something, you know, it, it, it's, just, it's that issue that comes that wants to deny opportunity. And so I'm like, we're going to have to build our own, we got to get our own banks. I was on fire. You know, we had been marching too, right? So I was all pumped up. Get our own, baby, our own We're going to get our own, but we're going to get our own takeout. We don't got to ask nobody nothing. We are enough. Let me hear you say, we are enough. He's like, we are enough, we are enough. We are enough, we are enough. Now, like, I ain't had nothing, but I'm just saying, we are enough, we are enough. But I always got ideas. And right after that, God called me, hey, check this out. I got this property in San Bernardino. I want to donate to Time for Change Foundation. <laughs> it's like, it's like uh maybe two and a half acres, it got two structures on it. Bam. I go down to San Bernardino, I look at it, I see how I can tear it down and rebuild it. State of the art, I was able to do that. I ain't had a dime, got $4 million, got two more million, dollars. got another million dollars. This came right in. All this came in after having that vision. So that's how God gave me the message to create the Bebop. And that's why it's standing and sustainable right now. So things that you know are, are unbelievable, are believable in my world because they happen on a regular basis. My thing is, it's always about the people. If I say, God, I want to be a millionaire tomorrow, he's going to be ha, ha, ha. If I say, God, let me help these women do so-and-so, he ushers in the provision. He gets the vision and the provision, and it happens just like that all the time. So, so Kim, before we go,
1: tell us oh, about... Oh, we got to
2: go? Oh, man.
1: <laughs> tell us about waking up to
2: your purpose. Tell us about the book. So during the COVID, I had started writing what I call my memoirs and you know, Going through the book, it was emotional So I had to relive some of that trauma and go back over stuff. And then I wanted to, it to be prolific. I wanted it to be to tie into larger social constructs. I wanted it to be something that you know it resonated with you. Of course, it's going to be real authentic because I don't even know how to come that way. But I wanted it to be something that would give you um, a good read, but also a lesson in it. And I just started working from that perspective. But when I got the call, so after the movie was out, stuff right? Then I got. Had to call to be on a Jennifer Hudson show, I was like, "Well, I'm not going to Jennifer Hudson show without having my book finished." So I already had about 19 chapters. This so I was like, "We got to wrap this up." I took my uh, my book photo for the cover right here in this living room, and uh, I will say "I'm going to Jennifer Hudson show October the sixth with a book in my hand," and that's what I did. She had the first edition, so I was um, one, I was I was lucky to be able to uh, announce my book on national television at the Jennifer Hudson show. And it's, it's just a Kim Carter story.
1: So, so Kim, you, you are so energetic and, and, and motivational. Uh, I want you to think back to being 21 years old and think of the thing you wish someone had said to you that could possibly have made your life in that period of time a little easier. What is the thing that you wish someone had said to you at 21 years old?
2: I would say at 21 years old, I was already gone. But let's say at 18, I wish they would have said, You don't have to, you know what? You don't really belong to this family, you know. You don't have to stay with these people. You don't fit in. <laughs> I would say I said, that. I would say I said that, that, that. You get to recreate your family. You, you know, don't get stuck on these people like because they, they got these titles that mean something. Like, you know, these people going to kill you. These people going to kill you off. You know what I'm saying? I needed somebody to tell me that. Wow, man. You know I was not expecting that answer, right? Believe that. Some of us got these, these families that you know they're toxic. They're not good for your health or your soul. I had to separate myself. I do my family in doses and only some people. I'm living a good life. I'm clean and sober. I'm on the right track. And I do not have to be in situations or people who do not value me and uplift me. And I'm just not going to do it. But if I would have known then that I didn't have to because, it, you know, because I wasn't uh, it wasn't expected, <laughs> I would have been out.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <to, laughs> This has been amazing. You and your life's journey has been amazing. You are inspiration. We thank you for sharing your journey and your story with our Waymaker audience. We appreciate everything you're doing. What's next for Kim Carter?
2: Uh, Kim Carr is about to get married on June 25th. I have work-life balance. I have found the man of my dreams, Uh, Mr. Anthony Tillman. I got 21-something days left before I get married. And that's what I'm focused on right now. I'm focused on right now is just uh, getting married and, and having this wonderful experience and being fortunate to find love in my life at this age. Somebody who loves me for me, not because of all the what you what you've done and like you know there's somebody who just loves Kim Porter.
1: well Kim congratulations uh, on your nuptials that are coming up and we appreciate you and as we say at Waymaker continue to grow your life and change the world thank you so much for sharing your story on the Waymaker Fireside channel
2: thank you so much for having me I really appreciate it
0: thank you Thank you so much for listening to this conversation between Lewis Carr and Kim Carter. What did you enjoy about this episode? Let us know on our social media at Waymaker Culture. And don't forget to claim your Waymaker Journal at waymakerjournal.com. And be sure to enter the Waymaker giveaway by going to waymakercontest.com. Subscribe to the Waymaker Fireside Chat podcast to get notifications each time we release an episode.